0: Welcome to the Rock of Grace Cortland Campus Podcast, where we aim to lead people like you to follow Jesus together. We have a new podcast each week with a message that is prepared with you in mind. So here's this week's message. One another. I can't believe it's February right now. I don't know how you guys feel about that, um, but it is February nonetheless, and that kind of means... a. Uh, A holiday, maybe you hate it, maybe you love it, Uh, but Valentine's Day. And uh, no, we're not talking about marriage all day, every day for this entire month. But this morning and throughout this uh, next couple weeks, we're going to be talking about how we are connected forever. And how you and I are staying connected, not just to God, but how through that connection with God that we continue to have a connection to one another. And sometimes these things feel motionless. Uh, I remember... For me, I had a year in my life that I very much just kind of went through the motions. And I'm uh, not sure when you hit that point, uh, but for the average person in this room, is, you probably hit that at some point in middle school or the high school. We just kind of, uh, you weren't sure, you kind of just figuring out what to do, figuring out who you are, so you kind of just go through. And maybe you hit a point where you suddenly really, 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 really care, or on the other side, you get to a point where you don't care at all. And that was actually my point in ninth grade. Uh, For some of you, I've shared this story a little bit before. But my ninth grade year was the year where I really didn't care at all. You know, I was the guy who knew what was needed to get by, and that is exactly what I did. No more, no less. My motto for the year was D's get degrees, And uh, that was not me. I didn't, it was my fault, right? I didn't do my homework. And if you guys know, homework is a major point of your grade at the year. So studying, taking time to study, taking time to memorize stuff. I was in biology and geometry. And a lot of that is definitions. And if you don't take time to really learn the definitions, you're not going to learn it. See, I did exactly what I needed to get by. No more and no less. And part of that was just because of that age, right? Part of that was because of the challenges that were coming up um, with a lot of things going on. My family was going through a lot during that season. But see, I like to be challenged. And in a way, I felt bored the year before, so I said, next year, I'm not going to put any effort into it. Because if I'm not being challenged today, why am I going to put effort into tomorrow? Why am I not going to put effort into the next thing? Of course, you know, that wasn't my exact thought process, eighth grade into ninth grade. But when you retrospectively look at it, you really begin to see, hey, I really liked being challenged. But now I'm like, eh, I wanted a break to the point where I took a little too much of a break. But see, I got to the point then, moving past that year where I said, hey, I want to be challenged. I want to continue to step into something that's going to move me and challenge me in a way that's going to help grow me. And when we have those challenges, it begins to push us past where our limit is. It pushes us where that wall that we've created, where that ceiling we feel like that is above us, we say, I'm never going to break through it. But we see that new barrier and we say, I'm going to move past it. We're going to fast forward this for many, many couple years, it's more than a couple years. Um, I don't have hair. I had hair then. And uh, the pandemic. The pandemic, for all of us, reintroduced some stuff into our lives. Maybe you found yourself moving back into a habit. Maybe you found yourself stepping back into things that you used to do. Maybe you found yourself in a season of realization where we're realizing what is normal actually mean because right now we're figuring out what is normal. We're at the point where we've accepted that how we used to do life is no longer here. We have to figure out what this new normal is and find a proper balance in it. See, there's days even still, you know, especially going through the pandemic, where you just felt like you're going through and doing what you have to do. Maybe you, your work entirely switched to work from home. And maybe you're like, I'm never switching out of work from home again. I love not seeing anybody except for one day a week and it's at church. Come on. And, uh, you know, but you go through those motions. But then there's those days where we struggle to move past our limits. We struggle to move past into what we see that God has in store for us, because I am in a place of, eh. You ever find yourself in a place of, eh? You know what I'm talking about. There's not really a word for it. I'm curious to see what Facebook auto-captions is going to do with that word in a little bit. But, eh, eh. You're just kind of lethargic. You just kind of sit down and move. But you know, you're, you're doing work. You're doing things. You're doing what life has before you. But you're not quite sure what you're doing. You're not giving it that extra effort. I'm not sure how many of you really gave extra effort during the pandemic. But chances are, statistically, it's a lot lower. You're like, all right, I'm going to take my midday shower now or my uh, 2 p.m. work nap that you couldn't do before that now you're like, I refuse to give that sucker up. See, as we continue to look at that, we recognize that God in trueness is not actually calling us to that life of complacency. God is not calling us to live in a place where we continue to say, eh, it's all right. You ever get asked how you're doing? You say, eh. You don't want to say good, because you you know that's a lie sometimes, but you don't want to say bad because you don't want to be that person that's complaining all the time, or you just really don't feel like telling the person you're talking to and stopping. You know, it's that obligatory, uh, most lied to question in America is my presumption. You're walking in, and my favorite one is, this is why I try not to ask this on the way into church because I don't want to set people up to lie and repent later. If I asked you, how are you doing, and I said, or you said good, you don't have to show me hands, but how many of you guys know that's a lie? I don't want you lying coming into church. I don't want you lying going into anywhere at that. But see, that's the beauty of this room. Is when we come in and we truthfully ask questions like that, we truthfully ask questions that push us past our limits, that push us past the spots where, where I found myself in ninth grade of a, a moment of complacency and just said, I'm just going to do what I need to get by. Or those moments throughout the pandemic, and maybe you're still in it, where I'm just complacent with where I'm at and say, I'm not going to push past where I am. Or I'm stuck and I don't know how to go past, I don't know how to get past that ceiling, we begin to move into that next part of what it means to be connected forever. Connected forever to the people in this room, connected forever to the people who are in the body of Christ, connected to the people that Jesus calls our neighbor. And this is where our friend, a lawyer, steps up and he asks Jesus a question. And he wanted to test Jesus, to see where that letter of the law was. And there's the well-defined answer for, am I doing enough? See, how many people in Scripture just wanted to know, am I doing just enough to get into the kingdom of heaven? Am I doing just enough for God? Am I doing just enough? The bare minimum is another way to say, just enough see, I found myself in a place of doing just enough. Maybe you're in that place now. Maybe you've seen that place. Maybe, hopefully, but you're not falling into that place. Because why why would I need to do more if what I'm doing is enough? If it's just enough? And that's the question that sometimes holds us back from that next step that holds us back from kind of what we have talked about last month with launching into what God has in store for us because I'm doing just enough. I'm getting by. I'm doing the bare minimum, and it's working dandy for me. So chances are you've heard this story, but if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. This is the story of the Good Samaritan. You might have heard this in church. You might have heard this out of church. It's one of those stories that you kind of see in a lot of places. And here's what it says. It says, Then an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? he asked him, How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And, that's a big and, by the way, and your neighbor as yourself. You answered correctly, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers and they stripped him, beat him and fled, leaving him half dead. And the priest happened to be going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he had put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. So which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Then Jesus told him, Go and do the same. So we talk about being complacent. We talk about kind of being stuck or just doing the bare minimum in life. We do that with work at one point in our lives. We do that with school maybe. We do that with relationships. But the truth is that when we permit ourselves to just get by, to just do that bare minimum, and there's a time where just getting to that bare minimum is a huge success, but we should not live in the bare minimum. Because when there is bountiful in front of us, we need to step in to what God has for us. And we cannot step into that when we hold to the bare minimum. If you're reaching for the bare minimum, don't stop. Keep going. Keep seeking God to say, what is this bare minimum? How do I get to this minimum? But then let that bare minimum be that launching point that God has set before you to move into the promises that he has had for you. And see, sometimes as Christians, we get caught up so much in doing that bare minimum. The bare minimum is saying, professing our faith. Say, God, I love you. And occasionally praying, occasionally reading our Bible. But we got to make sure that we are not as Christians just sitting and doing what we feel is the right things at the bare minimum level, but we need to step into the wholeness and the fullness of what God has. We must be connected to that mission that God has, and that begins to thrust us into that next level. See, last month we really talked about launching, and I want to continue building on that, because when we are connected to the mission of God, we become connected to our community. We become connected to the community that is around us, the people that are our neighbors, the people that we work with, the people that we see on a daily or semi-regular basis. I want to say that one again, where when we are connected to the mission of God, we become connected to our community. I want to give you an illustration. Everybody knows what one of these are, I'm assuming. Uh, You have many of these. This is a power strip. Uh, This is also, uh, this is not a surge protector. This is just a power strip. And see, we have this end, and everybody knows where this end goes, I'm assuming. I have an outlet underneath me, but I'm not going to go and plug that in. But you take this end, and you plug it in, and you connect it to the source of power. And see, myself, and maybe you know, some of you guys know this, that in that room is our panel breaker. We've got all the electric coming into there. And we tap into that. So when we look at that flow of electricity, just for an analogy here, we we know that that represents Jesus. And when we plug into him, when we become connected to that mission that God has for us, this isn't the only thing plugged into here. This isn't the only thing plugged in in this building. But see, here's the nice thing. If we're like this power strip, other things can plug into us. And we could be like a Christian that God has asked us to be, to connect others to God. Not on a permanent basis, but in a way that introduces people to who Jesus is. In a way that Scripture defines as iron sharpening iron. Where sometimes you just need that help from one other person. That mercy, that grace, that assistance. We're saying, here I am, you know, I'm praying for you. And I'm going to deviate for just a moment. I want to talk about one of my biggest pet peeves as a Christian, forget the whole pastor hat for a moment. How many times as Christians do we tell somebody that we're going to pray for them and then never pray for them? It's the gesture that counts, right? Wrong. But how often, I'm guilty of it too, where it's so easy to say, I'll pray for you, and then I forget to pray. So I've learned something in my life. If I say, hey, I'm going to pray for you, a lot of times I'll stop where I'm at and I'll pray with you. And other times you'll see me pull out my phone. And if you ever see me pull out my phone in a conversation, I mean absolutely no disrespect. But it's because I want to write down what we are talking about. Because I know in 30 seconds, as much as I want to remember, especially on a Sunday morning, I will not remember. I usually tell people, if you want me to remember something on a Sunday morning, email it to me or text it to me, because I will forget on a Sunday morning. There's a lot going on. So if I pull out my phone, it's a way of remembering. And I keep a list of prayers and prayer requests that are going on throughout this entire church. And not just this church, but the other two campuses and friends of mine. And I always check in and say when I'm praying with them, hey, how can I pray for you guys, or what's an update with that? And I've done that with so many of you. And that's a big part of it, is when we stay connected to God When we stay connected to his mission, we become connected to others if we're truly connected to his mission. Because he's asking us to be like that Samaritan, to step in and be connected to the community of those around us. We cannot effectively be all in on the mission of God if we are not bought in on being connected to our community, if we are not bought in on being connected to our neighbors. So the first thing is that we must be connected to the mission of God. See, we cannot be connected in the way that God wants us to to others if we ourselves are not connected to him first. If we're not plugged in with him, if we're not getting refilled with the power that he has for us, the power of his Holy Spirit and the blessings that he has, what left will I have for my neighbors? What left will I have for my community? And that's where we find ourselves falling into places of burnt you ever say to somebody you feel burned out? I have. A bunch of you were nodding, so I'm going to assume yes. But when we're connected to the mission, when we're connected to the source, when we're connected to God, and we really truly rely on him to be our source of strength, we're not giving all of us, but we're giving all of him. We're showing all of him. We're exemplifying all of him. So in order for us to be truly connected to our neighbors, to love on our community, the people that God has surrounded us with, we first need to be making sure that I am being connected to him. Because otherwise, if this is me, and I'm plugged into me, how many of you guys know that this is not going to work? Maybe you've accidentally done this before. Another great example is uh, a Christmas tree. Um, Newer strings of lights don't do this, which is fantastic, but chances are uh, you don't replace your strings of light until they all break, then the color matching and all that. But when one bulb goes, the entire strand goes with it, and you're meticulously looking for it over and over and over again. But you find it, and you get that little... uh, replacement piece but somehow you can only find the one that makes it blink you know with a little red tip that's the ones that never get lost the other ones they're lost all the time and you know it but you put that in and it begins to bring source of power back it begins to let that power flow through and see sometimes we're just one light bulb away from burning out and we need that help of our community we need that help of those who we're connected to forever maybe to help us put that bulb back in To go to God and say, God, how do I put this bulb back in its spot? How do I make sure that I am connected to your source? How am I connected to you in my daily life? Because without you, I've got nothing left to give. And scripture shows us that this is relatively easy. Not easy, but it's clear. We need to do this with all of our heart. We need to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and with all of our mind. We want to make sure that we are connected to God. Jesus is showing us and telling us directly what it means. That we need to love God with all of our heart. Everything that we have. We need to love God with all of our soul. With all of our strength. With everything we do. and With all of our mind. Everything we think of. The things we go about at night, the things that are in our heart, our prayers. This love, when we're connected to him, is of our entire self. It's not part of ourselves, and it's not some of the time either. And it's not when things are easier to follow, but it's also when things are hard to follow. And it's not just when it's convenient to point fingers, but we need to remember that this is all the time with all of my life with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my strength, and with all of my mind. And sometimes we don't even do that for ourselves. Because the next one talks about loving your neighbor as you love yourself. But I can't even love myself. So I can love God, but part of loving God is also loving myself taking care of myself. Because remember, when we are connected to the mission of God, we become connected to our community. So the next part is that we must be connected to our neighbor. We must love our neighbor as we love ourselves. I know I just said this, but what does this even mean? See, loving somebody and not wishing them harm, but the best. You don't have to like somebody to love somebody. You ever hear that? But it's really true. The way we love somebody is we need to really remove the way we've interpreted love in just our culture, especially in the month of February, right? Because especially uh, two weeks before Valentine's Day, if I say love, you think it's a romantic kind of thing. But the truth is love is how we continue to show others the way that we care about them. We continue to show them unconditional love in an action not an emotion, not a romanticized situation, but saying, I see you. I see you for who God has made you to be, and I'm going to care about your needs. I'm going to show you your value. I'm going to show you that respect. It's not looking at another and scoffing at them, but instead lifting them up. Even if you don't care for that person, you can show somebody love, even when you don't want to. Boy, does that make that hard. But see, there are companies that do this incredibly well. Um, There's also even fast food restaurants that do that really well. But if I name Chick-fil-A, you will want Chick-fil-A, so I won't name them today. But as Jesus did this too, he says this in a way that says you are not doing this. See, Jesus had to remind this man, this lawyer, saying you need to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And Jesus said this to this man in a way of saying, go and do this. You don't add go and do this unless you're not doing it, right? It's kind of like the equivalent of as per my last email. You ever send one of those? You don't have to show me your hands. Uh, I've sent one before, uh, more than one. Um, Maybe you've received it too. You're like, hey, uh, I'm not sure, blah, blah, blah. You type through and somebody says, well, as per my last email or as per this note," and it's kind of like that sassy way being like, hello, do this. Did you see this? You know, Jesus was a little less sassy here. However, he was saying, go and do the same. We need to do this. See, there's that great commission that many of you may know if you're a Bible reader, where it says, Matthew 28, 19, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, we are connected to the mission of God when we become connected to our community. If Jesus didn't care about the way we were connected to our community, he would not command us to go and make disciples of all nations. Because Jesus asked us to go into this community, to go into this neighborhood. So we get to that last part of getting connected. We need to stay connected, but we need to make sure we're staying connected. It's easy to plug in, and then plug out. It's easy to become disconnected. I think of earlier this week in round three of Stomageddon. Um, so I know I'm really tired of snowblowing and shoveling and everything along with that. You might be too. So I have this new electric snowblower, and it plugs into our outlet that we have in our garage, and we're going through and all this time before this, I've had a gas snowblower before. And before that, I had a manual snowblower. Um, but this is my first winter with an electric one. And I'm learning a lot about how the electric snowblowers differ from the gas-powered ones. And we're going through. And if you were the person who in your family went outside, you know that this past week's snow was significantly heavier. It was more wet. It was more dense. It was more back pain causing, um, all of those things than two weeks ago. I preferred the snow of 14 inches two weeks ago than this uh, eight to 10 inches we just got. So my snowblower, it's it's struggling at certain spots, partially because some of that snow came down as rain first and then turned into ice on the ground. It was getting mixed in. It was really dense. It was really heavy. It kept clogging. But I got to the end of my driveway. The snowplow had already been through and I had a three-foot mound of ice, but it was chunks of ice. So you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. So I got my snowblower, and I'm going, to pull back. Third time, uh, my engine shuts off. I'm like, uh-oh, what happened here? So I go back inside, and I'm checking, all right, that's plugged in. That looks fine. Go and check the second plug right there, and uh, that's fine. So it's going to the outlet just fine. So, well, this is a problem. So I open the garage door, and my wife's inside, and she is significantly less covered in snow than I am. So I, I ask her and say, Michelle, I really need you to go down and check the, the breaker panel, the breaker panel that we have in the basement. I need you to look at the garage one and see if it's tripped. So she goes inside, downstairs, and flips the breaker, and everything comes back on. See, what I learned that day about an electric snowblower, is you can overload the motor. And it reacts differently than what happens when you overload a gas motor. So when you overload an electric motor, it blows your circuit. It trips it. At least my specific snowblower, and I was not prepared for that one. So thankfully, we were able to get that one taken care of. But it reminds me so much of how often not only are we relying on this power, but when we don't have the power, we feel lost. We feel disconnected. We literally feel the opposite of power. We feel weak, confused, powerless. Because, you know, I could have continued with my snowblower, no power, and I could have just kept on chugging at this giant thing, and it would have shifted stuff eventually. I would have been still working on it this morning, but I could have chose to continue to move on without power and just try to use my own strength to move it with a snowblower. But I went to my wife, and I said, I need help. See, sometimes in our walk of faith, sometimes in the way that we stay connected to Christ, we need to not be ashamed to go to another Christ follower and say, I need help. I'm disconnected. I need to be connected to God. I feel like I'm losing this. I feel like I'm missing out on something. I've been failing at my devotions. I've been failing in my prayer life. I've been failing in my tithing. I've been failing in my obedience to what God has for me. And I need to turn this around and plug myself back in. Will you help me? Because part of being connected to our community is also knowing that our community is connected to us. The community that God has created for each and every one of us. I love this quote from a book called The Economics of Neighborly Love, as uh, Jeremiah comes on up in a moment. And here's what it says. The author's name is Tom Nelson. And it says, if we are going to embrace neighborly love, we will have to take the initiative to move out of the comfort zone of our cultural and geographical insularity and get to know our neighbors as people who, like us, have a unique history, have felt the pain of heartache, harbor unfulfilled dreams, and possess underutilized talents and future aspirations. See, when we're connected to the mission of God, we are truly connected to the community he has surrounded us with. See, the snowstorm gave me an unique opportunity, and I was sharing this with our leadership team this morning, that I firmly believe that as a conviction I have as a pastor is I cannot challenge anybody in this room to do something with what scripture says if I do not do it myself. Strive each day to not be a hypocrite. I hope we all do, honestly. But as we're uh, snow blowing, my wife and I were outside chunking away at everything that the uh, snow plows decided to leave us. I saw two doors up. My neighbor's teenage daughter got stuck. She's driving a mid two thousands Honda Civic. Not a high car. And if you're at all aware of how much snow we got, you're aware that the amount of snow is higher than the, uh, the bottom level of the car. And like all of us at a certain age, we feel like we can just, our cars can handle everything and anything, and it's a powerful machine, right? And she backed out of her driveway. The back end of her car got over that hump that the snow plows created in all of our driveways. Her front tires got over that hump. Her bumper did not get over that hump. And I look over and I yell, I'm like, are you stuck? It was the obvious answer, but I still had to ask. Just make sure you're stuck. I'm like, yeah. So I go and I grabbed uh, some of the tools that I have. I have some anti-skid things to shove under your tires if you do get stuck. And I grab a shovel and everything. I walk over there. And I've never met this neighbor before, never had the opportunity to. It's weird to just knock on your neighbor's door and say, hi, I'm so-and-so. Those days are gone, unfortunately. But I go over, and her car is completely, it's encapsulated in snow on the side. This thing's not going to move anywhere. I'm getting underneath, and I'm pulling the snow out. It is touching everything from underneath her hood. It's just everywhere. Her bumper is completely removed on the one side from the amount of snow and ice that she hit. But i got to meet her and her mom. And my wife and I, we keep this list in our kitchen. And it's a chart, and it's our house in the center. We got this idea from a book called The Art of Neighboring. And as we meet our neighbors, we write down their names. Partially because I'm really bad with names those of you I've met, you know I've met you six times. but now I know your name on that time seven. But it's a way that we can pray for our neighbors. It's a way that we can make sure we stay connected to our neighbors. Because you know the sweetest sound anybody can ever hear is your name. The sweetest sound to you is your name. And you know the difference when you're talking to somebody you haven't talked to in a little bit and you know they forgot him. We've all been in those conversations. You've probably been on the other end of that conversation too. You're like, hey, you. And that's one of those moments like, have you met Jeremiah? Yeah, Jeremiah, have you met? And then, oh, yeah, yeah, that's their name. One of the greatest ways that we can start to show care to our neighbors in our community is just recognizing the value of their name, recognizing the thing that they are called the sound that they are called, the sweetest sound to an individual. Because think about it. How valued do you feel when somebody says your name? Even more so in a relationship, you tend to have these nicknames or pet names. Even within friendships, you have nicknames for each other. As a parent, you're not born with the name mom or dad, but it comes later. The way a name is used shows connection. It shows relation. It shows intimacy. It shows vulnerability. You know, the inverse, it's kind of like getting a spam call and you give somebody a fake name because you want the opposite of intimacy with those people. So one of the easiest ways that we can continue to show how we can stay connected to our community is to just know the names of those in our community and use it. And this is from a guy who struggles with names. You know, I've told many of you, said, hey, after I met you, say, said, hey, please don't be offended when I ask you your name again. I'm learning a lot of names but we can write it down. We can look. We can spend time in prayer because once we know somebody's name, we know who we're praying for. It's a lot harder to pray for somebody when you don't know them. When you don't know how to pray for them. So my challenge this morning, we're going to leave Jeremiah praying for a minute pull out the notes app on your phone. You can grab one of the papers you have in the pew in front of you. But my question is, who is your neighbor? Who is your neighbor? Because if we're going to be connected forever to the mission of God, we need to be connected to the community that we are surrounded by. So let's just take a moment. You can talk together if your spouse or family member is here. Say, who are the neighbors God has put in your life? I'm not asking who are the neighbors that need Jesus, who are the neighbors that don't need Jesus. Just, who are the neighbors God has put in your life? Take a moment and just talk about that if you're here with a, a family member, or just take some time and write a note. But I generally want you to write those names down some. I know, especially in church, it's easy to uh, jump in and just be like, who's the people that need Jesus? And that's important. But they're not the only people we're connected to. See, it is important that we share our faith and we reach people and we show people the love of Christ and truly do what Jesus asked us to make disciples of all nations. But the reason why I ask you to write all your neighbors down is because we all need prayer. We all need support. We all need to feel connected to each other. We all need to feel connected to God, whether I'm a Christ follower or not. When we recognize who our neighbors are, not just the ones with what we would say is the Christian obvious need, but the ones that have a name. We can begin to stay connected to them. Because when we recognize the names of those who are our neighbor, we learn to love them. We learn to pray for them. We learn to say their name. Put them first. I have never in my life experienced a time where I've prayed for somebody by name and not felt tied to them in some way, not felt connected to them because prayer is so personal. If there's somebody on that list that you're struggling to even care about, Pray for them by name. Pray for their goodness. Pray for their well-being. Watch God change your heart. Those are the prayers that are even often so hard. But we are connected forever. This room, when you look around this room, I see people that are newer faces, some of these faces that have been here longer than I've been. stay connected to each other through our body of believers. As a church, not just a rock of grace, but as Christians, as Christ followers. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everybody to stand. Hold that list, And in a moment, I'm going to pray for you This includes me, my family. I'm going to pray that each one of us sees our list and loves on them the way Jesus wants us to. That we can be connected to them the way Jesus wants us to be connected to. But as I'm praying this prayer over you guys, I want this to be the moment where you, maybe your family, whoever you spoke to as you're putting together a list, or even by yourself, I want you be praying over the people that you wrote down because there's no greater time to start praying for your neighbor by name than right now so you can pray with your your family you can pray with another person if you want but as i pray over you I pray over your neighbors so heavenly father i just thank you for each person who was in this room reminders of what it means that we must be connected to you and when we're connected to you that we are connected to the neighbors that you have placed inside of our lives God right now I lift up each person as they're lifting up the neighbors that you have given them that each one of us can walk from this place showing your love showing your mercy showing your grace to those who we wrote down names for for those who are represented on our list of neighbors those that follow you, and those that have yet to declare their lives in surrendering to you. God, that the way that we love on each other is an exemplary goal for each one of us. To show what it means to put our faith in you, to be connected to you at all times. God, let this day not just be a day where we only pray for our neighbors once, but let this be a transforming moment where we see the value that you have in each every each and every one of us, each and every neighbor, each person that has a name, God, allow us to be connected to you by connecting to our neighbors. Allow us to be sensitive to these things that we could stay with our hearts in the right spot, and that the way that we love on our neighbors. Continues to show your name, your peace, your mercy, and your grace. Be with us as we go from this place, whether we're going out for food, hanging out with friends, or just going home and enjoying a nap. That God, we ask that you continue to speak to us in the moments of noise and in the moments of stillness about how we could stay connected. To the communities you have placed us in. Keep us healthy and safe until we come back next week to praise your name together. In your name we pray, everybody said amen and amen. Alright, well, Rock of Grace, I hope you have a great, finally not snow-filled day. Uh, we have a few spots left in our marriage conference coming up this Friday. Um, if you want to sign up, you could do that. I think we've got about two slots left. Otherwise, I hope you guys have a great weekend. Thanks for joining us. If this message impacted you or you would like to get in contact with us, you can visit us at www.rockofgrace.org. Also, be sure to share this message with a friend or subscribe so you never miss a message. God bless.